I'm very excited about today's episode. I'm sure I'm far from alone in having a guilty pleasure interest in conspiracy theories. I suppose there's a bit of a watching NASCAR races for the crashes element to this, but it's more than that. Conspiracy theories connect to some very deep questions about the human brain, human culture, and the human condition. On the one hand, we're children of the enlightenment and the scientific method and even postmodernism. Each of these movements disenchants the world and stands to some degree or other on a, a very skeptical frame of mind. On the other hand, you can argue that we are evolutionarily designed to make meaning, to create and accept taboo, even to believe in magic. How do we navigate that dichotomy? How do we find or construct truth? How do we balance skepticism and meaning? This is the Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Corbin Barthold. My guest today is Professor Joseph Usinski. I was just working with him before we started on how to pronounce it, and I have no idea even now if I, I butchered it. He is a political scientist at the University of Miami. He studies conspiracy theories and specifically why people believe them and how they spread. Given that he specializes in conspiracy theories, it is perhaps appropriate that Professor Usinski is a man with something of a cult following. I first ran into him on Jonah Goldberg's podcast a couple of years ago. I've since seen him pop up all over the place, including in the recent HBO docuseries Q Into the Storm. A specific tech policy related article of his led me to invite him on the show. That piece appeared in the conversation and is called Don't Blame Social Media for Conspiracy Theories. They would still flourish without it. I look forward to discussing that piece. But I'm also excited to jump more fully down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole with Joe. So Joe, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the kind introduction. And uh, um, I agree, I do have a cult following, but not in the good way. I, I think there are cult members probably following me from time to time. Wait, um, wait. But not, not members of my cult. <laughs> Let me, so, so I, you know, every episode I prepare, I have a list of questions that I, I keep in reserve in case I need them. And let me just jump right off then. My last question for you was going to be, um, do cranks uh, and and sort of conspiracy nutters come out of the woodwork and like attack you or say you're in on some vast conspiracy? Yes, quite quite often. And um, in the last few years, we've had to get a little bit more careful with security. So um, I have gotten emails that uh, border on death threats people talking about how people like me are destroying the world and they have guns, which will bring an end to it. Yeah, I've had to make reports to the campus police and, and, and stuff like that. And it, it, whenever I write something for like the Washington Post or any outlet that allows comments, there'll be comments saying that I'm part of the deep state and I'm in on it and I'm trying to stop the reasonable and rational conversation. And I assume, given your, your broader views, which we'll get into in just a moment, that you see that as your profile rising rather than the temperature on conspiracies in general rising. Like, you, you're very good at seeing this as anecdotal data. Um, yeah, it is anecdotal. I mean, because the people who felt this way probably would have felt this way 5, 10, 20, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just natural for people to, to look at anyone who disagrees with them and say, well you're a liar or you're not right and in the case of conspiracy it's easy for someone who's already believing conspiracy theories to say well if you're telling me it's not true it's probably because you're in on it and you're trying to cover it up i mean that's sure. built into the um into the theory itself well and to preview yet another idea i'd like to dive into you know now we live in an age where it's a lot easier for such people to to make themselves visible to you um, although I'm sure Nutters wrote lots of angry letters from time immemorial. At any rate, um, your article in the conversation, um, you wrote with Adam Enders. You talk about how prevalent conspiracy theories 
um, how prevalent they could be before the internet. Uh, the JFK assassination being perhaps the most prominent example, or I mean, the moon landing, there's plenty of them. You talk about how polling data suggests that the internet has not caused some big uptick in belief in conspiracy theories. Um, and I personally actually find your take persuasive, but I bet a lot of listeners don't. I, let, I bet for a lot of listeners, that's not an intuitive finding. So it'd be great if you could lay out your views. For a lot of people, it's intuitive to think now is worse than ever before. So when people then apply that thinking to conspiracy theories, they say, oh, now is, is the worst time and we're doing it more than ever. And polls show that this is exactly what's going on, is that when you ask people, are, are Americans conspiracy theorizing more than they did 25 years ago, you get 60 or 70% of Americans saying yes. Um, when you ask Americans, are conspiracy theories out of control right now, you get um, 75, 80% saying yes. So people see it as a problem and they think it's a worse problem than it's ever been. And part of that is just a, a optical illusion, is that we've been paying more attention to something, so it seems worse than it's ever been, right? But the problem is we just weren't paying attention before. And even when we try to think about the past, we do so with rosy hindsight and without fully considering all the things that were going on way back when. So when people say conspiracy theories are worse now than they ever were in the past, I say worse than during the Red Scare, during the, you know, the Salem witch trials. It's worse than that when we were drowning and crushing people for witchcraft. It's worse now. Really? <laughs> so it, 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 another problem here, too, is that when people say things are worse now, well, what's worse exactly? And what is it that people think has actually changed? What metrics have have gone up over time because when you read about these claims in the news it's always something very amorphous like it's the golden age of conspiracy theory well what does that mean i don't know what that means and you know when i'm approached by journalists who want to write that they tell me well it's the golden age because this is going up and we see it everywhere i say well conspiracy beliefs as far as i can tell and i've been polling on a lot have not increased and they say, well, it's some other thing then. There's something in the ether that's rising. And I say, well, no, it sounds like a bunch of baloney to me. It's, it's what, what, what a lot of journalists are doing with this right now is making claims that have no basis in empirical reality. They're making claims that they don't have any evidence for. And what they wind up doing is the same thing they're criticizing conspiracy theorists for. They're just making up stuff that feels right to them and acting as if it's true and spreading it everywhere. So the so spreading it guilty. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. They're I, guilty of exactly what they're accusing the conspiracy theorists of. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to have a hunch or a feeling, which I, we have to go through the world having hunches and theories. It's quite another to write an article in some prominent paper pronouncing it. And I think it connects to the notion that, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. And this seems kind of like a species of that. Um, and that's the thing. If you go back and look at the coverage of conspiracy theories, and I've done this for the last 60 years, you'll find oftentimes when they're discussed by journalists, they're always saying, now is the time. Now we're living through the golden age. And you can find this in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s, up, up through today. They say it a lot more now in the last 10 years than they did previously, because we're sort of paying attention to the quality of our information environments more. So conspiracy theory is a topic. But almost always when it's discussed, it's now's the time. But it can't always be true. So... What this kind of makes me think of um, is the political scientist Philip Tetlock in talking about predictions. And, and you have a similar situation where, you know, he actually forces so-called experts to I, tie themselves to the mast, is, uh, to commit, to put skin in the game, to make very specific predictions, not just say, oh, well, it's likely or whatever, and make it so that they can fudge it later and make it sound like they were right, like actually try to predict the future. And it turns out they're terrible at it. And this seems like a very similar thing that you're actually getting the data 
and doing the polling and being empirical about it. And it leads you to a very different answer than the so-called experts or, or just sort of pundits making easy pronouncements. Um, yeah, so, so go read a journal article about this. Or, 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 or not a journal article, but a, you know, a newspaper or, you know, online newsine something. Um, there's never anything concrete put forward to support the idea that it's more now. Right. So sometimes what will happen is that the journalist will put forward a poll. Say, oh, we took a poll on Tuesday and it shows that lots of people believe conspiracy theories. Now's the time. Well, you can't claim that unless you have polls going back where you can make regimented comparisons over time. Um, but usually it's done without any data at all. And they're just pronouncing now's the time um, based on nothing. Well, for the benefit the of, of our uh, listeners, because I've heard you say this before and it was eye-opening to me, could you share sort of what were the percentages of belief in a JFK um, sort of rejection of a lone shooter theory at its height? So polls on JFK started being taken only a few weeks after the assassination. And at that point, 50, five, zero percent of Americans believed it was a conspiracy rather than just a lone gunman. By the mid seventies, that hit 80% and stayed that way until it looks like around 2000 where it's, it's dipped. And depending on how you poll it now, you get between 45 and 55%, which is still quite a big dip from its height in the 1970s. Um, and it still makes it one of the most believed conspiracy theories to this day. So, but what is that? It's only one conspiracy theory, right? About was there something behind JFK, but it tells us something is that, you know, large numbers of people believed conspiracy theories long before the internet they did it in previous decades and some conspiracy theories actually have come down in belief during the um internet era so let me let me sort of transition to the internet and also because you know i just your views sort of speak to me but it would be no fun if i just cheer led the whole time so let me let me try to come up with one of those in the ether stories and and put it to you it seems, I'm already off on the wrong foot because it, it feels, it feels like the internet or maybe the flattening of information hierarchies more generally. Uh, Martin Gurry came on the show. He had a book called, he has a book called The Revolt of the Public that's just amazing in my opinion on this. Anyway, the internet or the flattening of hierarchies is doing something. It certainly feels like it's increasing skepticism of authority that it's decreasing faith in institutions or, or certainly like institutional religion. Um, and that maybe therefore it's causing conspiracy theories to form or transmogrify faster. Um, having given to you what you might just now reject as a bunch of gobbledygook, like what effect on belief systems do you think the internet is having, if any? Not that much. And in your the hypothesis you put forward is fine. Show me the evidence, right? And and nobody's really doing that. So what what's happening right now is that people are saying, well, there's conspiracy theory content online, and there's people with conspiracy beliefs, and a lot of those people use the internet. So aha, it must be the internet influencing people to have these beliefs. But I think what's going on here is a lot of people have thrown their brains out, you know, particularly some of them in my field. We have a hundred years, a hundred years of studies into media effects, trying to figure out what effect does the media or information environments more generally have on people's beliefs? Are there strong persuasive effects? And the answer is most of the time, no, not that much. And the reasons for that are fairly simple. And these are put on steroids with the internet. And that is that one, people watch things that, or engage with online content that they already agree with. They're self-selecting in. So oftentimes what content is doing is preaching to the choir. 
It's not just influencing people. And even then, even if people were incidentally exposed to messages that they didn't already agree with, they have psychological filters to block stuff out that, that they don't find copacetic with how they already view the world. So go put a Democrat in front of Fox TV for a few hours. They're not going to be influenced by, by Sean Hannity or any of that stuff um, and vice versa. You know, Trump supporters aren't going to be aren't going to be influenced very much by Rachel Maddow. So there oftentimes when there's these colloquial conversations about the effects of information, it's just that people are exposed to something and they're automatically influenced in intuitive ways. And the answer is no, that really doesn't happen like that. And. And, and and what seems to be more the case is that people are just people have predispositions towards conspiracy theories. Some people really like them. A lot of people are in, inclined towards them, and they're seeking out that content. And likely they're on the internet in the first place because they can't get what they want from other mainstream sources of information, like the broadcast news or whatnot. So they're on the internet looking for something. Right. So once you account for that, that they're already motivated to get what they're going to get, the influence of that content on them effectively becomes zero. Well, this certainly ties into, you know, we talk a lot about um, social media content moderation on this show, and we spend a lot of time um, sort of knocking like Republican efforts in Florida and Texas to like force uh, carriage on social media. We also talk less so, but it deserves attention about the fact that Democrats, uh, I mean, it's a little flippant, but their, their, their problem with uh, social media at the end of the day is that people are talking to each other. Like the peasants are talking to each other is sort of the attitude. And the notion that you can put that genie back in the bottle, that, that like you can, I don't really know what the plan is. I mean, you kick people off of say Twitter and they're going to go find Telegram, or uh, some other avenue to speak to each other. And if anything, and again, I'm going, I have a hypothesis and, and you're keeping this conversation disciplined. I don't know what the data would say on this, but I do wonder if, if forcing people into deeper holes just makes them harder to track. The true extremist who's ready to bomb something, uh, if he's dumb enough to be talking on Telegram is gonna be seen very easily. Whereas if you, know, if you put these people in deeper and deeper holes, does, does the gain you might get from the, the dampening of the spread of the ideas outweigh the cost of not having it be visible because people are going to believe what they're going to believe to some degree. And so, yeah. Um, I mean, that would have to be investigated, but I would probably argue that I would agree with that. And there were some reports of that in the last year and a half, because as the platforms were kicking people off, uh, there were government agencies that said, oh, this is making them harder to track and keep an eye on. So they're going yeah. from places like Facebook to places that are much more anonymous and much more harder to 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 keep an eye on. So and I should note it uh, just to be clear, I mentioned Martin Gurry, who I just think is so great. Uh, he, he would agree with much of Joe's analysis about, you know, we don't actually have a firm grip on what it is that persuades people. And uh, he is more pointing out that um, the flattening of information hierarchies is a matter of like, we can now see the opinions of people that we previously, maybe their opinions were harder to see and that that is having an effect on our perception. Uh, another person, Joe Bernstein had an article in Harper's where he put it very succinctly. He said, is, is there more crazy out there or is the crazy just more visible? Um, one last attempt to try to try to push back. I mean, in your polling research, do you see any kind of divergence or difference in the prevalence of event conspiracy theories, which seem to me kind of harmless? Like if you think the moon landing was faked, that doesn't necessarily translate into any kind of real world action. It's almost like a it's almost like a hobby belief, or like it's almost like a statement. Um, like, you know, how sometimes polls get wacky results and, and um, I've heard it said, it, it's like a free kick. You can, you can have 
sort of a wild opinion to a pollster is just your way of saying I'm angry or I'm distrustful. Um, so event conspiracy theories versus systemic conspiracy theories. There is a ruling cabal and they're coming for your children unless you take action, which seemed to me sort of more dangerous and pernicious. Is there any increase in the latter? Well, let me take the first question first. I mean, I agree with the idea that we can see it more. So there was never a record of our conversations at the office water cooler. So mm -hmm. if we were at work and I told you, hey, I think the moon landing was faked. No one can see that except for you and I. And it's gone as soon as we walk away from the water cooler. But now it's there forever. So we can see it. So it gives us the optical illusion that there's more of it, even though there might not actually be more of it. And I'm not sure how we would tell, right? Like, how can we track unrecorded conversations prior to the internet to compare the quantity of conspiracy theories being shared then compared to what's happening on Twitter now? I don't think there's a way to do that. So, so we're stuck with the optical illusion that is, oh my God, look at all the stuff we can see. But it's just that there was no way to see it before. Um, this manifests itself in a particular way. So you'll often read news accounts where they say, um, you know, somebody will write in and be like, my cousin used to be normal, um, but now he's a QAnon believer and he got sucked down the internet rabbit hole. He was fine, but then he got on the internet and the internet just pulled him in deeper and deeper and deeper. Well, maybe, but that's the thing is when someone's looking backwards and just giving us a self-report of what happened to their cousin, it, it, we're probably missing a lot of details, especially details from prior to that person adopting those beliefs. So what what might be more the case is that the cousin was always into conspiracy theories, maybe didn't have a name for it, maybe wasn't fully activated, but had those views. They went to the internet looking for that stuff for a reason. They were obviously copacetic to it. So it's maybe not so much as them being pulled in as them willingly jumped down. And, and, and the people observing this are only seeing what's happening after the fact. They're not seeing the person's dispositions, their desires, their motivations prior to adopting whatever particular belief that they're concerned about. So, so now to get to the, you know, your final question, which is, you know, conspiracy theories about events versus about the, the system. Conspiracy theories can be dangerous because they can drive people to act in ways that are deleterious. However, I don't think that the conspiracy theory is doing all of it on its own. And a lot of times conspiracy theories act as justifications for things that people would have done anyway. And that's that's sort of the problem. So to me, it isn't like, oh, is the conspiracy theory responsible for this person committing violence? Often, along with the conspiracy theory beliefs that the person has, they also have a bunch of other unsavory characteristics that drove them to commit violence. Right. So a lot of people can think the system is rigged. Most people aren't going to go commit violence on it. A lot of people think that, um, you know, any conspiracy theory is true, but most aren't going to act on it. So what's really driving the action? It's probably a bunch of, of characteristics that exist within the person that's leading them to want to act on something. Right. Because we could take any idea and we could find a way to act on it. Like if I was like, you know, NASA is engaged in a big scam to trick us into thinking they land on the moon. Um, if I was so, you know, inclined, then I'd be like, let's go blow up NASA or something. Um, and, and there actually are people who have acted violently. There are people who go and accost astronauts. I think right? Buzz Aldrin like, punched a guy once. Yeah, who was yeah, in, up people, in his grill. Yeah, because people go out and harass him. So there are some people acting on it and you can take something even even you know fringier like the lizard people theory the idea that shape-shifting interdimensional lizards control the planet i mean there are people who have committed violence on that but to me it's not the idea itself it's the fact that they have a whole set of 
psychological characteristics that are driving them to act in deleterious ways and adopt fringe um, um, anti-establishment beliefs. Are you familiar uh, with uh, birds aren't real? And, and yeah. if you are, do you have any thoughts on it? Well, there, there is a brand of consp conspiracy theory where people just sort of adopt it, not necessarily strongly believing it, but just as sort of a joke. As background to the listeners, Birds Aren't Real is a satirical conspiracy theory. It, it um, was made by a person um, who says that uh, birds were replaced with surveillance drones in like the seven, starting in the 70s, and it's all been covered up. Um, but uh, yeah, the reason I bring it up to you is, is clearly they, the people who drive this, feel that there's a problem and that they're, they're trying to fight sort of lunacy with lunacy. So, you know, it, it surely says something about the zeitgeist, but I assume you would say nothing more, but please go continue. I mean, there are other conspiracy theories sort of like this where um, it becomes sort of a joke, a pun, an interesting story, a fun myth. Um, so imagine, oh, is Jay-Z and Beyonce, are they in the Illuminati? I mean, there's always chatter about this, and I'm sure there are some people who are concerned because <laughs> they think maybe they really are Illuminati. But for a lot of people, it's just sort of a running gag, a joke, you know, more myth than it is an actual fear of some impending doom coming from Beyonce. Right? So so I, I, I think in our culture now, sometimes these things do become um, co-opted for entertainment purposes or fun purposes or hoax purposes. So. Yeah, because I certainly think that some of the people who are behind that are trying to make a point that things are worse, as you're trying to argue that they are are not. Um, and I think it also connects to, uh, to come at this this feeling, once again, I mean, Vox had an article um, that I thought was very interesting about the rise of a sort of religion of just asking questions. And the gist is that social media is leading people to adopt sort of a weird brew of, of new age thinking, like do your own research with scare quotes and, and just general question everything. You know, is the government hiding the truth about Antarctica? And when I read that, my take on it was kind of what you just said of, of this is a hobby for people. Um, it's just, it's people gotta do something with their spare time. And, and I didn't see it as anything more than that. But do you look at these kinds of things and, and do, you, do you watch them form into more concrete beliefs? Like, or do you just kind of have to wait until it stops being nebulous and it shows up into a concrete question that you can pull on? Well, I think the, hey, I'm just asking questions. <laughs> is just a cop-out for conspiracy theorists. And they've been doing that for a long, long time, you know, because they know that their ideas aren't always socially acceptable in all circumstances. So instead of saying, I believe A, B, and C, they'll often say, well, you know, what do you think about that birth certificate? You know, I'm just asking questions, you know, because in some circumstances it's, going to be frowned upon depending on their audience you know to say you know i think obama faked his birth certificate for whatever reason wait wait so, uh, i'm so sorry can i stop you right there just because i I have, a, I have a question about this so you you call me up and you poll me uh, and you ask um birth certificate uh or election stolen okay like i believe the election was stolen or the or, or president obama's birth certificate was fake um i i don't believe that i don't know well, you know, sometimes we look at the percentage of I don't know, and that's taken very seriously as something very impactful. But I don't know is actually kind of a proper default response for a lot of these things. Like, strictly speaking, I don't know where Barack Obama was born or whether the 2020 election was stolen in the sense that I haven't taken time from my busy life to run those theories to ground, study them for myself and learn the details of why they're, they're bunk. So, I mean, is that kind of a appropriate response or is the better approach to say, well, I do know like Occam's razor and, you know, I reject elaborate theories out of hand until, you know, 
And so when I, so I want to make sure that we're bracketing off two different conversations. And one is about people who are saying, hey, I'm just asking questions in conversation. And the other one is, how do I ask survey questions? So okay. what, what, when I ask somebody if they believe a conspiracy theory or not, I'll tell them the conspiracy theory, and then they can respond strongly agree, agree, um, neither agree nor disagree, disagree and strongly disagree. I don't make any claims about the people who say neither agree nor disagree. And I think it, so, so for the most part, I'm largely only concerned with the people who are agreeing. And yes, the people who are saying, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously those are different from the people who are saying it's absolutely false, right? Like I strongly disagree with this. Um, so I count them as in the middle and we can have an argument about that. But um, I would I would say for the most part that if somebody says, well, I'm not sure in the way that you're framing it, I think that's completely fine because a lot of people aren't going to know. And this is so if you go back 10 years, a lot of the questions that were asked about the birther theory about Barack Obama's birth certificate, they were like, do you know where Barack Obama was born? And of course, people who aren't politically attentive may not know. And they may not even know that you have to be born in the US to run for president, right? So to them, they'd be like, well, I've never heard the name Barack Obama before. It sounds foreign, could be born somewhere else, right? So that could have been driving some of the response. And there were, there were um, social scientists focusing exclusively on the people who were saying, I don't know in those cases, right? Because um, as it turned out, it seemed like the people who were saying, yes, he was clearly born somewhere else. Often, you know, they, they were intending um, to express a belief in a conspiracy theory where there were probably some people saying, I don't know, because they legitimately didn't know. I uh, hijacked, I, I had asked about whether the sort of new agey online experience is trackable or to you is just something still too nebulous um well to me i mean all of this stuff has been here for a long long time right so nobody should be shocked that oh my god there's people who believe in new age spirituality it's been around for a long time there's people who reject the medical establishment yep going on for a long time uh people who reject um all sorts of parts of uh, modernity you know, yeah, Penn and Teller had a great show on this, like, oh God, going on like 15 years ago now where they attacked this kind of stuff before there was really any social media to speak of. Yeah, and there's there's beliefs in psychics and ghosts and all sorts of things that aren't really um, that believable. I can go turn on the TV and the History Channel, which I thought was about history, is really about alien stuff. I have about nine other cable channels that are all paranormal experiences taking place and haunted houses, supposedly. Um, you put on Animal Planet and the biggest shows were about the Navy conspiracy to kill the mermaids and finding Bigfoot to let the cat out of the bag. They haven't found him yet. Um, but we are awash in stuff that doesn't have very good evidence in its favor. But surely there... Um... Surely there is solid evidence for a secular, uh, no pun intended, decline in um, conventional religious belief, isn't there? So would sure. you expect to maybe see, uh, are, are you sort of on tender hooks to see that decline lead to an uptick in sort of new views to replace it? But I haven't, I haven't found that with conspiracy theories, though. Right. So so we could say, oh, people are going to stop believing in religion. So then maybe they'll start believing in some other thing. Well, I only study that one other thing, which is conspiracy theories. I haven't seen an uptick. Got right. It. Beliefs in specific conspiracy theories, sometimes over the course of decades, at least for the ones that have been pulled on. Are tend to be very stable. Right. Some, you know, there's a few that go up. But overall, for most conspiracy theories that I've been polling on, I've been polling on quite a few, um, either they're stable or they go down over time. So, hey, maybe people are giving up religion to adopt something else, but it's not, it's not conspiracy theory beliefs. Well, somewhat related question, maybe 
just too broad, but you know, we all have priors, um, probably a lot of priors that we're not even consciously aware of that we believe based on basically no evidence going to what I was saying out at the introduction. Like we have brains that are sort of programmed to make our way in the world more than to like, to use an example of a conspiracy theory, I have run to ground. Like we landed on the moon. Like there's plenty of evidence, but most people don't go through some meticulous investigation. And that's true of like a lot of, a lot of broader beliefs that do have an impact on our life. So um, given that we are constrained embodied beings with a limited amount of time and what, like, how are we supposed to form beliefs? Like, how are we supposed to think about how to go about forming beliefs? Uh, <laughs> that would put me in the position of being a little bit prescriptive and I don't want to do that too much. Um, because people don't have the time to run around and research everything. And that's why we outsource a lot of what we know about the world to experts. That's why we outsource politics to representatives instead of doing it ourselves. Um, let me give you a, a, a kind of a good example of this. So as the consensus on climate change has gotten bigger, we have like 98% of climate scientists saying this is real and it's caused by human activity. You had over the decades, this polarization in opinion between Republicans and Democrats, with Republicans thinking it's not a big deal or, or it's fake, and Democrats saying it's, it's real and we should probably do something about it. Well, how did they come to those views? I mean, they the, the irony here is that despite them having completely opposite views, they got to the views in the exact same way. It's not like Democrats and the mass public went out and got all the climatology journals and started going through the data and reading the academic research. <laughs> they didn't do that. They listened to their trusted leaders and took cues from them. What did Republicans do? The exact same thing. It's just that in this case, the Republican leaders were saying something that doesn't, doesn't mesh with the scientific evidence and the Democrats were. Um, so that's why you wind up in this place, but it's not like they're doing different things to get to different places. They're doing the same thing to get to different places. So, I mean, in that sense, this is where a lot of what concerns me in the world has to do with our political leaders. When political leaders lie, it matters because people who trust those leaders can be influenced to believe those lies. But it, it, it's, it's not necessarily because those people, you know, are seeking out that idea or um, are necessarily attracted to the, that idea on its own. It's because they're getting it from the trusted source. Right. Yeah. One of the things that worries me is, is um, going to this subject. I, I, I think it's right. Again, going to, I trust uh, other people who research these things. So I'm doing exactly what you just said. You know, that, that a skeptical frame of mind is not actually a terribly natural human state. That if you go back and read sort of the Evo bio stuff, um, that's not what natural selection has really, uh, I mean, obviously it's in there. Obviously that's part of who we are, but that's not the only part. And there actually is a strong tendency to, um, benefit from and have a tendency toward and admire acts of faith, like great acts of faith. So like Thomas More is widely considered a hero. Like, what did he do? He didn't go like, I don't know, like maybe Jesus appeared at Emmaus uh, after, you know, was resurrected. Maybe not. I don't have evidence. And, and I don't have evidence that Jesus really said to Peter, like upon this rock, I build my church. Like, I don't know. So I'll just take the oath of supremacy. Like he didn't do that. And if he had done that, like nobody would remember him. Um, so it, it, it does seem like there is a strong part of, to use a term that's not very accurate, like the reptilian brain that is going to keep driving that process that you just said of like, trust the big man, the guy with confidence is the leader, um, the person who shouts the loudest, you know, fight, we got to fight. Those people are going to continue to sort of drive the discourse. Um, yeah, well... <laughs> This is, this is the issue of our age, is that we're looking for a boogeyman to blame. 
and and we want to blame some outside exogenous cause for our troubles because it's too upsetting to have to come to grips with the idea that we're the villain in all of this. Our beliefs are our fault, whether it's conscious or, or subconscious or a result of our genetic programming. We want to blame something else. And it's easy to say, oh, well, Facebook did it. Twitter did it. Everyone would have been of a scientific, purely rational mind. We would have been a bunch of Spocks running around if, if not for this internet, which is filling us with, with crazy ideas and nonsense. Um, but it, that doesn't even make sense on its own. Because it's hard to say, well, everyone would be rational, um, except for these tweets. Well, the question becomes, well, if everyone's so rational and good at scientific reasoning, why are they being influenced by some idiot's tweet? <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so the issue is, and always has been, that people are prone to believing stuff that isn't very well evidenced. And even the people complaining most loudly about social media now, because it spreads misinformation and conspiracy theories, probably believe all sorts of stuff that can't be backed up. Yeah. With any sort of evidence. So true. And all of us have a box where we're holding things that we don't want to subject to any sort of empirical testing. I mean, sometimes I think, like, isn't there a kernel of truth to the notion that conspiracy theory is just the label that, um, comfortable people slap on, you know, those crazy things that the, uh, the, you know, hoi polloi believe. I mean, it's the false beliefs that are safe to attack versus the false beliefs that are held sacred. I mean, well, it's worse than that because everybody has their own definition of conspiracy theory in that definition is usually something like this, the crazy stuff that the other guy believes. Yeah. So, so everyone's sort of pointing the finger saying, oh, well, they believe crazy stuff. No, they believe crazy stuff. But crazy stuff is is become circular because crazy stuff is just it's what the other side believes. Wouldn't right? it be fun to fast forward like 500 years? And like so we look back on, say, um, the time of to go back to Henry VIII again. And it's like people killing each other over like whether transubstantiation is correct. And forgive me any Catholics who are listening, but like, you know, a lot of us look at that and we're like, oh, wow, this is amazing that this was the overriding issue. And you know, 500 years from now, we're going to have lots of things that we're passionately debating right now. And people are just gonna be like, what was wrong with those people? Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. If we think about that, then we start to realize that this human project of ours has been a long time in the making, and there's always been a battle against ideas that aren't very good. And as much as we think of ourselves as living in a scientific age, um, a lot of the things we believe aren't particularly scientific, and a lot of the ways we reason aren't very scientific. And we're, we're, in some ways, we're a lot better off than things were 500 years ago. Um, but we still have these things happening. I mean, there are still beliefs in witches across parts of this world, still beliefs in demons and all sorts of stuff. And um, it always shocks me because I go up the road and there's, you know, psych buildings um, owned by the psychics you know, come see the psychic, get your fortune told. There's a few of them in my neighborhood. And this is Miami. So we're talking prime real estate. So how are they paying the mortgage or rents on those places? It's because people are spending a lot of money on psychics. So is this the fault of the psychic or the fault of the people who are chucking their money over? I mean, I would say probably both, but what really concerns me is the person who's willing to go to the psychic's door with a handful of cash and flush it down the toilet. Well, I've let this bleed into sort of more broader, um, the nature of belief. And, and one thing I'll just throw out without even a question is, is, yeah, it's a constant battle. And even as we become more rational, you get counter 
rationalities. I mean, Michel Foucault, who's an interesting guy and, a, and a, a thinker worth taking very seriously, but, you know, it's kind of a regression when he comes and says, oh, well, the madman, you know, insane people, people with genuine mental illness that we can see is like, we can see it when we take scans of their brains, like structures are way off. Well, those people are just having a rationality imposed on them by society. It's actually oppression. And who's to say whether their outlook on the world is more accurate than ours and, and all that. So it is a constant battle. Um, but to, to circle back to what I was going to say, um, you are very good, I found in other things about staying disciplined about the definition of conspiracy theory, which is not the way I've sort of bled into it of like just wacky beliefs. It's like a belief in a concerted effort of, of you know, individual actors sort of in private to shape the world in some way. I mean, I've probably not done that right, but it's, that is certainly closer than just wackadoodle belief. And so my last question for you, and please feel free to get the definition right once I stop talking, but, um, I, and I bet you get this question all the time, but what's the wildest conspiracy theory style belief that turns out to be true? The wildest conspiracy theory belief that turns out to be true. Well, here's the interesting thing is that, that for most things that are conspiracies, now meaning that we we assume that they actually occurred like watergate um i mean those started out as conspiracy theories in the sense that somebody thought that this happened and then they went and investigated found evidence found more evidence found more evidence and then we reached some bar where we say you know we're going to assume that this is what happened and we're going to show data and evidence to make the case that this is what happened. So in the case of Watergate, why do we say that it's a conspiracy and not a conspiracy theory now? Well, because we have admissions in open court. We have people who went to jail. We have the reports from the FBI, Congress, and other law enforcement agencies. Now, anyone can challenge any of that to say, oh, no, Nixon was framed or this break-in never occurred. Sure. And if they can show it and convince experts, then that's that's great. And then we'll we'll update our our views at that point. But um, for now, um, we assume that it's it's true. So almost anything where we say this is what was what was occurring, oftentimes it's somebody says, "I think that this might be happening." They're engaging in conspiracy theorizing, right? And then, and then if they investigate and it turns out to be true, now it's a conspiracy. If, it turned, if, if they never get any good evidence for it and can't convince experts, then in my view, they're still engaging in conspiracy theorizing. So, yeah, I, you know, I think of, uh, say, like MK Ultra or uh, COINTELPRO. So some of the things the government did, like, yeah, it turns out the CIA really was like giving people LSD without telling them to try and see if they could use it as a truth serum. So like, I guess the, the, the core of my question is like, what's the stupidest thing somebody's thought to do that like they then actually did? And I, I guess the, the way it works with the government is sometimes they keep documents classified that they only release like 50 or 100 years later, or like I think a Mark Twain who kept his autobiography under wraps. And, and I guess what I have in mind is, you know, I wonder if there's something floating out, you know, floating out there that, you know, the document gets released 100 years later, and we discover and unfortunately, enough time passes, and it's not that interesting anymore. So like, I think of, um, this is really arcane, but the reason that James II, you know, his kid didn't come to the throne is in part that a myth was created of the warming pan baby. It was a conspiracy theory that his child was replaced with a bastard or, or that he couldn't have a child. And so this, this bastard, I should say, was snuck into the room. That's the way to put it. Um, and that the kid was not a legitimate heir. And people believed it. Like they took it really seriously until he got to pose. And then it was kind of a, a lie that it served its purpose. And um, so it's just hard because so not, whatever, 99.9, .9, whatever percent of conspiracy theories are completely insane. But like, it's also true that people do insane things. So we just have to always keep, I guess I, I'm starting to ramble. My point being, it's just hard to find that level of having an open mind without your brain falling out. So this is what I do is I don't say that anybody's conspiracy theory is 
false. And I and I if I'm speaking colloquially, like on a podcast, then some, I'll call some things crazy. But I I don't generally view conspiracy theories on their own as as necessarily crazy or psychopathological in that sense. Um, to me, they're ideas, and they could be true or false. It's just that I don't consider them to be true until the appropriate experts have said, okay, this is, this looks like this is what, what's happened. So in that sense, I try to chart very much a middle ground where conspiracy theorists come to me and say, I believe in conspiracy theory, A, B, C, D, and E. And I say, great, they could be true. They could be false to me. Um, but I'm not the guy you got to convince. If you want to convince me that the earth is flat and there's a big cover up to hide that fact, then you should convince physicists and geographers and airplane pilots and things like that. Don't convince me. I don't know anything about, you know, the shape of the earth. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to go with what the experts say, right? So they should convince them. And then, and then I'll, I'll take cues from, from, from experts. Um, but you know, people, people come to me all the time. They're like, well, what about the magic bullet? And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I'm not the one you got to convince. And, and I tell them you could be right. You could be wrong, but you could talk to me all day about magic bullets. I don't care. Go, go talk to experts and, and convince, um, the majority of experts. Joe, this has been so much fun. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, what a great way for us to start off uh, 2022 on the Tech Policy Podcast. Um, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Until next time. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.